0: Oceans and beaches are safe, for now, because he's back. Michael Cole has taken his brand of fear and terror inland again, and nobody can stop him. His latest creatures are loose and invading the farmlands of Eastland County. With cheetah speed and teeth like scalpels, they seek to feed on anything they can catch. Horses, cows, pigs, humans, nothing is safe. For they are meat eaters. Jump on an adventure that one reviewer calls Jurassic Park with Cowboys. Meat Eaters, available now on Amazon from Raven Tail Publishing. Welcome. This is Raven Tail. Jakub written by Jerry Underhill read by Jerry Underhill Yakub, she growled, her voice thick with fear. Cheeks He looked up, his expression flashing under a mask of youthful defiance, but beneath the spark his eyes were sunken, glintless black orbs. It reminded her horribly of the homeless she'd seen in Moscow's underground train tunnels so many years ago. The guilt cut a searing path from the back of her brain down into her throat. She stabbed her fingers jerkily down at his face, pushing into his right cheek and twisting his head to the side. He grabbed at it, startled, but thought better of saying anything. He almost never got to come out. The toy X-wing in his hand almost never got to come out. He sat in his chair at his window running simulations most days hovering the fighter's nose an inch from the glass, swerving, rolling, and diving to navigate the stains and dirt that speckled its outside surface. He smiled. Or his face opened in something like a smile. She knew he did it for her. And so that she'd take him out, of course. But not because he understood. There were some things that couldn't be explained, try as she had. Yes. Smile, she said, nodding her approval. She felt a sheen of tears cross her vision and turned. Thank you, little bug. She called him that when he was being good. He smiled a little more earnestly now, lifting his hand up behind her and vibrating his lips to make the sound he assumed the little X-Wing fighter was supposed to make. He'd never seen Star Wars. His dad was going to watch it with him once, but they never had. She didn't turn back at the sound. She stayed facing the door for a long handful of seconds. The X-wing crept into her peripheral then, along with Yakub's ghostly pale fingers. It banked closer to her face, pleading with gentle bumps. They wanted to go outside. She bounced on the balls of her feet. The faded green rug under her shoes ran the length of the hallway, from front door to maintenance closet. It'd been beaten from a million footfalls in its life. Many of those feet standing right as she was now, in this exact place. She couldn't remember when it was still plush. It seemed it always been like this, like concrete with a thin coat of algae grown over. But that couldn't have been true. Her Tomas, Jakub's father, would never have bought in such a dilapidated hovel. He would have moved before subjecting them to this level of disrepair. She grabbed at the fingers of the glove on her right hand and pulled it off, then reached her index finger to her mouth and smeared a dab of candy-pink lipstick onto her fingertip. She reached her hand out to the door. Fear seized her fingers. They fell sprawled against the tacky surface, wood thickly veneered with layers of paint, oils, chalk. Lipstick, sauce, and even spit. Whatever a person had on them as they stood in this exact spot. She drew her index finger down two inches, then crossed it at the center with a pink smear nearly as long. She always drew hers in the top left corner. Tomás had always drawn his to the left of hers. It was how they slept, too. Tomás on the left. His crosses were still down there, she knew. Under the layers of others. Under the layer of fresh paint the super applied each January 2nd. She turned to Jakub, an ugly facsimile of a smile stamped on her face like a wood carving. Littlebuck. He stepped forward, fighting into his pocket with his free hand, banking his X-wing to the left with his right hand as he did, and brought a small nub of purple crayon out. He fumbled with it his thick red glove sapping what little dexterity a six year old began with. The pair had cost seven ninety five, but he'd lost the right glove. He wore a thin white mitten now that he'd found on the second floor hallway instead. Damn it she hissed, slapping out at him with the thick glove hanging from her fingers. You know that's not enough. Take this She waved it in front of his face. Then you won't have one, he pointed out logically, still smiling, dimples digging into his round, fat face. Give me the mitten, she said after a moment. If she went upstairs, they would not be coming back down today. He expertly docked his X-wing between his teeth and held his right hand out to his mom. She took the mitten off and slid it over her fingers. She had to stretch it to force it halfway down her palm, but it would do. He held up his bare hand, waiting patiently as she sighed and put the glove on for him. Then he brought the crayon up to the door, awkwardly setting the rounded tip on a spot under his mom's cross. He wasn't left-handed, and began running it in a faint, curving line, his tongue sticking comically out of the corner of his mouth, his face screwed up in concentration as he tried to draw straight lines with his oft hand. "'Smile!' she barked, a film of fear settling over her brain now. He had to smile." He did, seeing the look on his mom's face, then finished his cross. She stared down at him, unblinking. They stood that way for a full ten seconds, her mind whirling without anchor. They didn't need to go outside. Casper's food trolley had dropped off her orders two hours prior, 44 euros worth, and it needed to last them another nine days. But 44 euros bought a lot of rice, lentils, carrots, black beans, and salt. He'd had a special on chicken, so she'd splurged and stashed two pounds of thin cuts in the freezer. If they didn't lose power for more than a few hours the next two weeks, it would last. The power grid had been stable lately, so she thought she might be able to keep the meat as an emergency reserve for even a month, two. So actually, no, she didn't really have any reasons for going outside. And Jakub certainly didn't need to. But she'd watched as his little mind shriveled, sitting in his chair the past six months. He was a boy. He needed air and sun. He needed to put his hand on a tree trunk, climb a little too high into the branches, maybe fall and sprain an ankle. He needed to be a boy. Otherwise... What was the point? It's what Tomas would have wanted. Jakub had friends in the building and friends in his virtual classroom for whatever that amounted to. But his dad would have never let that be the extent of his life. So she couldn't either. And she admitted to herself, this life wasn't enough for her as they'd been living it. It'd been a little better when she had Irana next door. It'd been even better for Jakub... He seemed to like it there, if only because she spent her days baking and asking for taste tests. But then the shells had come through and hit her inside, and now she was gone, and with her, the notion that walls and ceilings meant any kind of safety. She drew in it. a deep, long breath, then stuck her palm out and pulled Yakum behind her, releasing The shaky breath, she shed her thumb on the brass release and pushed down. The door creaked open, a wall of cold marching in, biting at her ears. She pulled her hat down, then spun to check Jakub's jacket. His left glove had slipped down below his wrists, probably from when he'd pulled his hand out of his pocket. She pulled it back up, yanked at the ends of his sleeves and pant legs, ensuring that every inch was at work, cupped his face with her right hand peering steadily into his eyes, and stood. He wiped angrily at the spot her hand had been. She had accidentally left a streak of candy pink lipstick from her finger, which his chubby palm spread over his puffy cheek. She opened her mouth but shut it as he quickly snapped his lips into a smile. He was too close to a chance at the outside world to risk defiance at this point and she was getting too much compliance to risk licking her thumb and wiping the lipstick off. Nodding, she nudged the door open with her foot, revealing a slushy sidewalk and mounds of dirty snow on the other side of the road. The land fell from there, a shallow drop leading to the crumpled shambles of an old DeWoo factory whose red brick chimneys spewed smoke overhead. The western half of the factory had been caved in by an explosion eight months prior. Some of the bricks had flown as far as the front wall of their building, chipping at its thick concrete and falling to the sidewalk below. Some still sat there in a crumpled mess at her feet, but they weren't in the way anymore. People had kicked the ones that were, so the ones that remained would likely stay there forever at this point. Forever is when things would get better in Pieski. It's also when they'd get worse again. It's what the grandmother said, the ones still alive. The rest of the town wasn't much better. Most of it looked like textbook images of war-torn Poland at the end of Nazi occupation. The town had rebuilt afterward, just for the world to fall apart again. Things had finally stabilized, though, thank God. They still dealt with the shelling, but that would likely never end, and life could get on, such as it was. She reached for Jakub's hand. He pulled it back and offered his left instead. Then she pulled him into the cold trying to enjoy his insistence on childhood out of her side eye as his little X-Wing expertly navigated some welt water that ran off the balcony hanging over the doorway. She didn't have to remind him to smile now. This one was organic, and it bordered on glee. She hadn't seen that face in weeks. She felt better already. He certainly did need to go outside, she thought. An armored figure was walking across the street a hundred yards up, it lumbered clumsily, clad in brass and topped with a domed helmet that she knew well had been polished to within an inch of an in- inanimate object's sanity. Mr. Cardine had bought it for a thousand euros shortly after it all started. Some criminal outfit had stolen it, and a number of other items from the nautical museum. There were others in town who had such protective suits at various price points. The wealthiest. Those who hadn't left for big cities could afford a line of suits that had been manufactured specifically for this new world, some even including cooling and heating systems to make going outside and them tolerable. But she didn't need that. She couldn't afford it even if she did. Central Bank had rejected her application for financing, but Boris, the loan officer, had gone so far as to suggest some unconventional alternatives himself but she'd need a lot more upfront money for their kind of loans. And she'd need to be willing to risk Jakub losing her when she couldn't pay them back. All the same, she was working on it. She was up 17 euros this week, 27 for the month. In good months, her main job as a title agent was enough to cover expenses, homeowners insurance, utilities, property taxes, Jakub's tuition, food, internet. Some months... She was able to service contracts from busier municipalities if everyone else in the agency was busy, but usually she supplemented her income by picking up odd data management contracts for that reason and that reason alone. Shea was able to cover the interest on her ninety four hundred in debt, spread across six credit cards, chip away at the balance, and save bits here and there to the tune of eleven 1, hundred euros which still left her 47000 short of the retail price of Samsung's new X4. But again, she didn't need that. In the meantime, she'd been on the hunt for a Soviet-era flight suit for the past three years. But those had been salvaged long ago, and the unfortunate reality was that gas masks and flight suits hadn't proven statistically significant in mitigating the risk. Data accumulation wasn't what it once was, but... The regional government's best efforts to find an answer had found that even fully armored suits were barely effective enough to eclipse the margin of error for the studies. She stopped Jakub as they crossed the road and began to round the sidewalk, circling the neighborhood playground. Wheat grass had spread from the neighboring field to climb out of the degraded mulch covering the ground. It waved in the cool wind, soft, cloudy sun igniting in a warm gold from the western horizon. The oak grove was down the street, But it was farther from the protection of riflemen on the town's roofs, farther from the guards patrolling the edges of their valuable grain fields, and much, much farther from home, should a shelling begin. She waffled, bouncing on her toes again as she glanced back at the front door and then, indecisively, down at Yakub's increasingly more impatient face. When two shadows crossed her periphery, Pyotr, she said, startled, nodding to the younger man next to him. Yon, you two ready? Afternoon, Lalasa. I was sorry to hear about Yon, Piotr said, staring deep into her eyes. He frowned for a split second, then his lips rebounded. She nodded sadly and looked down at her feet for a moment, fighting to maintain her courteous smile. She was the second this week, she pointed out, not to anyone in particular, and not for any particular reason. It was just a statement of fact, a cataloging. Yakub smile, she whisper hissed, looking down and noticing his bored expression. Hey, pal, gettin' big, Jan said. Yakub patted on his belly with his gloved palms. It swished rather than making the slapping sounds that Yakub liked so much. Yakub frowned. Jan laughed. Ready, Jan? Lalasa asked again. Um he hesitated, then pulled his cap off to run his glove through his hair. He was tall and thick, with dirty blond hair and chiseled features that she knew most of the girls on the block had noticed. She hadn't seen him in months. She hadn't remembered his blue eyes sparkled quite like that, like a lake under summer sun. He looked sheepishly into her eyes with them. I need to ask out Carolina. She raised her eyebrows. Carolina was everyone's favorite, as Irana had told it. Well, I'm sure you will then. Piotr elbowed the younger man in the stomach, hard, then grinned wildly. Jan doubled over before kicking out at the older man in the shins. Both laughed. He was supposed to ask her out every day for a week, Piotr chided good-naturedly, clapping Jan playfully on the shoulder. He will, though, he will. The coward, he will. I'm not a coward, Jan insisted. No, but you are young. It is wasted on you, Piotr answered, shrugging. Lalasa had gone out with Piotr when they were younger, before she'd met Tomas. It hadn't worked between them then, simply because there hadn't been that sort of spark. But he was then, and and remained now, a handsome man, in a rough-around-the-edges sort of way. She wondered if he still thought about that, or if he still thought she was pretty. It was silly. They were so much older now, both sporting flocks of gray in their hair. But it was human. Not that she had such interest in ever taking a man again. How about you, Lala? Ready? Piotr asked. She looked away, embarrassed. She'd been staring. I am trying. We are out to let Yakub play a bit. Piotr nodded knowingly, maintaining his polite smile. I am the same with my Isabel. What about for yourself? Are you ready for yourself? She shrugged. It wasn't quite a sad shrug, but it was solemn. And she looked at the swaying wheat grass in the moment's silence. I am the same, Piotr said, nodding again. Hey, Akub!" Jan dropped to his knee as if conspiring, then pulled a dark wrapper from a zipper pocket in his jacket. I found this yesterday! Yakub's eyes lit. He even stopped strafing the air with his X-wing. What did you find... Lalasa began. You want some? Jan asked, already opening the wrapper and breaking a small chunk off the end. Yakub licked at his lips like something from a cartoon. Lalasa laughed. Jan handed him the larger chunk, then handed the small piece to Lalasa. She shook her head, immediately extending her hand to reject it. Please, Jan said, an earnest, wide smile pushing up at his cheeks. She wanted to protest. She had no interest, but she saw the encouraging look on Piotr's face and realized it would mean something to the younger man, and this was a world where doing something that meant anything mattered a great bit. Thank you, she said, taking the chocolate. She looked down at Yakub, whose eyes were bouncing back and forth between the two, his lips smeared with chocolate, his gloves brown at the tips of his index finger and thumb on his right hand. He had a huge smile on his face. Between his more aggressive chomps, it would rocket from his lips to his big brown eyes. Thanks again, she said to Jan, watching Jakub smile. Jan smiled, watching the boy. So did Piotr next to him. Have there been any shellings at Lublin? It was the closest major town to theirs, only sixteen miles. Berlin? Kiev. I don't know. Stanislav hasn't arrived yet today. Stanislav was the manager of the caravan that traveled to Lublin. They had a well-developed subterranean plant there where an army of UV lights fostered plants, medicinal and recreational, as well as a variety of berry bushes. They were a good trading partner for Pieska and its wheat, filling an important need for the town, as trade always had, she knew going back to the first ape-man to hand off red ochre to another in exchange for a pretty shell it found outside its coastal cave dwelling. Maybe the ape-man would make the shell into a necklace. Maybe the ochre would be smeared onto a cave wall somewhere down there, down where the oxygen was thinner, where the ape-man would paint by the firelight of a flickering torch, casting delirious movement and life into the figures on the walls as they moved with the frolicking orange flames. The ape-man would have probably been high from the lack of oxygen by then, the effect of the torch compounding conditions. Maybe he'd even consumed something mind-altering, adding delirious magic to his figures. Piotr shifted his rifle on his shoulder, seemingly for no reason other than to move. They were in the middle of an emotional conversation, so it would be rude to walk away. But it was clear he'd wanted to move something so he had. It was the way humans were, she knew. Jan was smiling down at yakub still, this a more genuine, rich smile than his customary one. He was finding great joy in watching yakub devour the treat, like watching a living thing experiencing taste for the first time. Jan's smile brightened hers, which brightened Piotr's, which brightened Yacoub's in turn. "'Well?' Jan stopped mid-sentence as if he was swallowing spit that gathered in his mouth, or pausing to clear his throat. But he didn't continue again immediately, and that drew Pyotr's eyes. Then Lalasa's. Then Jakub's. All still smiling residually. Jan's eyes had gone glassy, but under the glass his pupils burned intensely, as if screaming. His cheeks high, puffy, and thinly blooded by the cold, puckered like he was sucking a candy or pulling hard at something caught between molars. But it continued beyond normal, the juice in his skin sucking away almost comically. His high cheekbones protruded, his chin and his nose and his brow hardened in prominence as the pallor was swept from his face like the bathymetry of the ocean floor coming into exaggerated sight as an ocean was drawn swiftly from its craggly floor. His neck, thickly muscled, shriveled in on itself, like a grape going to raisin in the sun. No, Pyotr said. No, no, no. Pyotr's smile, still clinging to its customary default purchase, was hideous. Jan's smile remained too, but it was the smile of an embalmed mummy. Yakub's eyes beneath her were wide. His fingers had frozen, his last piece of chocolate a mere two inches from his mouth. He was no longer smiling. His mouth hung agape. SMILE! lalasa screeched, a hoarse whisper of a scream that barely made it from her panic-constricted throat. Under his thick jacket, Jan's body was deflating his normally puffy but muscular chest and shoulders withdrawing like a child's juice box. He remained standing, though, pupils still burning, wretchedly aware. No, no, no! Piotr moaned on. No, Jan, no! She glanced to Piotr. His smile remained, but it was a twisted, nightmarish thing. Jan's face became grainy. His skin flaked away. The stark white of his cheekbones jutted out now. They powdered at the surface like chalk, then ran off as swirls of dust as gravity dragged it to the earth. His legs crumpled, first at the knees as he collapsed forward onto them, then his body fell to its side. His pupils burned on with their maddening scream, the last dredges of his life force clinging to his brain stem as he was drained away. The first to leave, shot from his mouth like a fly through an open door. Then two more, then three, then four, thirty, a hundred. A horde pouring forth, clawing to open air as a countless swarm. It might have been millions. There were never counts. There had been estimates, based on the volume of the shells that had been captured. Piotr no longer moaning, was the first to move. With the same nightmarish grin etched horribly into his face, he swung his hand at the fleeing swarm as it rose high in the sky, feet from his face. They looked like a flurry of gnats hovering in the summer air up there. Some fell to the ground as his hand swept through the current of hardening carapaces. Some continued to rise, a field of bloodsuckers that hadn't had their fill. A few clattered against the shoes, sounding like tiny pebbles of hail, their bodies full of yawn, each of the million or billion hovering overhead likewise full of yawn. Their normally infinitesimally small bodies, presumed soft before the feedings, were now rounded thick and hard with fat droplets of blood, some terrible trick of evolution that afforded them better protection of their harvest as they flew back wherever they went as they brought Jan to whoever or whatever they brought him back to. Nobody knew. Some called them devotionals for the thought that a thing wouldn't consume, wouldn't engorge so much for itself at the cost of vulnerability. One bite, one slurp to subsist until the next feeding. That was normal nature. That was the way of bugs. But devotionals transformed into carriers, Zeppelins. So while some thought that they went back to wherever they went to rest in a state of hibernation, some even going so far as to suggest that they might lie dormant for years, feeding off their stores, there were others, the ones who called them devotionals, who saw different. But it didn't matter much. The end was the same. They watched the unsatiated, field of devotionals carry off like a mist lingering over their heads they held their breath waiting but then the unsatiated were too high to be seen and then they were gone the Lalasa let out a heavy sigh of relief then reached down and swept a handful of the hard shells into her hand smile she said softly Sadly, not looking back up at Yakub. she tossed the handful of devotionals into the air. They clattered like seashells as they clapped against each other in her palm and then to the dirt below. Taking her glove off, she stood and reached her hand for Pyatr's. He took his off and reached out with his own. She nodded down to Jakub, then released Pyatr's hand. This was important. What do you say, little bug? She asked, tears swimming in her eyes, drops sliding down to collect on her upper lip. Yakub took his glove off and reached it to meet Pyotr's waiting hand. He'd been told what to do. But this was the first he'd experienced it. Pyotr had gathered his face into a sad resemblance of his customary resting smile by then. ''Are you ready?'' Yakub asked. He glanced to his mom to make sure he'd done it right. Piotr twisted down to him, surprised. He was quiet for a long minute. ''I am, son,'' he said, finally. His face, so much older now, crinkled at the eyes. ''Are you ready?'' Yakub struggled for words, he didn't know how to begin. He looked up to his mom uncertainly. Um. She looked to Piotr, tears welling in her eyes still. It was everything she had to hold her lips in a smile. Piotr narrowed his eyes meaningfully, proddingly. How about we head to the playground, she suggested, tears sliding down her face. Yakub's face brightened just a bit, as a child's can, so quick to rebound. Alasa nodded, a world of panic swirling behind a brave smile. You know what, Pyotr said, I will hang out with you for a while. Well, guys, uh, I'm sure many of you are storytellers. If you've got a great Western and you need a publisher, why not try Dusty Saddle Publishing? Uh, With over 60 Westerns in the top 100, a top-notch catalog, and all the hitmakers you can shake your stick at, uh, you may want to go where the action is. So if interested, email Katrina at dspublishingnetwork.com. That's uh, Katrina with a K at dspublishingnetwork.com.